Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. We are your co-hosts. And today we are so excited to welcome Tanya Toria to the show, joining us virtually from New Zealand. Tanya, welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you. We're so excited to talk with you and to hear your stories and get to share your stories with our listeners. And as an introduction, Tanya works full-time as the Assistant Area Communication Director for the Church's Pacific Area, which includes her home country of New Zealand and other islands of the South Pacific. And before being hired to this position just last year in 2020, she served as a Volunteer Communication Director in New Zealand for seven years and through that time developed such wonderful, strong interfaith relationships, and she led in government and community outreach throughout the country. Tanya graduated from Pathways Worldwide in 2019, and in addition to her busy work, she's also studying marriage and family studies at BOU-Idaho. Tanya was born and raised in Porirua, New Zealand, and she and her husband Danny have three children and six grandchildren. So, Tanya, welcome again. We're excited for our listeners to get to know you. Thank you. Well, Tanya, we're so excited to have you here. We want to know a little bit about your family. So your family have been members of the church for generations, and we would just love for you to share about some of the women in your family, especially including your grandmother and mother, and what you've learned from their faith and courage and the example that they've shown you. Oh, thank you so much. You know, my earliest memory of my grandmother is her having this little green suitcase that she used to get ready on Friday evenings to go to the temple. We live about, in those days, it would have been about an 11-hour drive on a bus. And so every every month she would be packed and ready. And I remember we'd go down to see her off to the temple and she'd have this little bag and she'd be all dressed up and she'd never miss that bus. And so they would arrive at the Hamilton Temple and they would arrive early in the morning, you know, like two o'clock in the morning, and there would be sessions overnight. And so they would do those early morning sessions, start coming home about lunchtime, get home in the evening, and then off to church the next day. And she just never missed. And that was my first experience of just this faithful woman who I wanted to be like. So that was my grandmother. And she has a story of her own. Um, When she married my grandfather, my grandfather's family were all members of the church. She wasn't. And he, a good dad, you know, he would read the Bible to his family every evening. And she used to kind of poke fun at him and tease him about the stories and say they were silly. But this one particular (laughs) night, she started listening. And that evening when she went to bed, she couldn't sleep. The words just kept coming back to her. So she went to the dining area in her home and everybody was asleep. And when she arrived there, she said she saw the shining light and she had a vision in which she was showing the Book of Mormon. And she said to me that she felt happy and she had this desire to learn. And so what she did was she didn't tell my grandfather about this vision and she didn't tell her, him that she was studying the Book of Mormon, but that's what she did. And then February 1948, the elders of the church had come over to visit my grandfather to talk about baptism of my mother, who was about nine years old at the time. 
And they had to get permission from my grandmother. So my grandfather talks to her and it was, they waited and she said, yes, and I would like to be baptised too. And I remember I was interviewing wow. her when she was 80 years old. She's passed on now. And I remember saying, how did he react? What was his response? And she said, oh, he just hugged her and hugged her. He was just so happy. It was kind of her special surprise. And so she was baptised along with my mother on the 17th of February, 1948. Wow. My mother had her own special witness. She was reading 3 Nephi 11, and this is where Jesus Christ appears to the Nephites after they've had earthquakes and they've suffered and, and people have died and it's just a horrific time for them. And then they've had these three days of darkness, and this was following Christ's when he was crucified, of course, on the other side of the world. So this is in the Americas. And so she was reading this and just studying and really thinking about it. But she wanted to know if it was true. And you know, as women do, she's a mum. So she studies this and then she goes out. And in New Zealand, we hang our clothes on the line to dry. So you do your laundry and we have these lines and we peg them all up on the line. And so she was mm-hmm. out doing the laundry and, and hanging all the clothes out to dry. And that's when she received her witness. I love that. That is just in those everyday things that you're doing. And she Mm -hmm. saw in her mind's eye, she saw the Saviour appearing to the people, the Nephites, and that he was beckoning them to come. And she was one of those coming towards him. And she knew and had received her own witness that, that it was true, first of all, but also a witness that Jesus Christ loved her. That's beautiful. And I just love the whole the part of it that she was hanging up the washing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Doing the things she had to do as a busy mom. And I know that for much of your childhood, she was a single parent and was raising you and your siblings on her own. What did her faith and courage mean to you? And how did that help you as a young girl to grow in the gospel? Well, my mom was you know, of a school where, of thought where if you got asked to do something, you put your whole heart and effort in. Mm-hmm. And I, she would often say to me, when you get a calling, you always say yes. Then you do everything that you can for the Lord. And it's really interesting because I've taken that on board. I've seen how hard she worked and then how much joy she got out of that. She was my seminary teacher for a couple of the years that I was in there. We lived quite a distance, a walking distance. We walked for about 20 minutes to get to the chapel. And so we had seminary early in the morning in those days and we would get up every single morning. This is where I learned this stalwart faith and you need to do things a certain way. That was my was commitment, right? That commitment, that's right. When I think of these women, your grandmother and your mother, we say as we introduce the podcast that we're talking about women today and women from our past, and your mother and grandmother are women from our past. They are Latter-day Saint women of faith that helped build the church. They really were pioneers in building the church in New Zealand and I love that, that they're your stories, but they are our stories and our history too. And you have a very rich heritage, both as a member of the church to have so many faithful individuals in your past in the gospel, but also as a Maori in New Zealand. And for those who are maybe unfamiliar with this beautiful and distinctive Maori culture, will you introduce us a little bit to some of these customs and traditions and how they have also shaped your life and influenced your life for good? 
Thanks for asking. I'd really like to share two traditions that we have. And the first one is the way we introduce ourselves to people. Different to Western society, where we usually say our name first, I would come in and say, hi, I'm Tanya Torea. And then I would proceed to tell you about my family and other things about my life. But in Māori, we start with the creations of God. So the very first thing we share is our mountain. And then we share where our nearest water is. So it might be a river, if you're by a river, Awa. Here in Porirua, we're surrounded by sea and harbours. It's beautiful. And we have the big ocean, Nui. So I would say Raukawa, Te Nui, which is the big ocean named Raukawa. And then we share how we got here. So, And it's funny because you think now we have Google Maps. This is <laughs> our location. And then we share how we got here. How did you get to where you are now? And so for us, it was by a waka, by a, a ship, a boat. And the name of that was Tainui. So I would say Tainui to waka. And then we share our iwi or our people, which is you might call it a tribe. So for us, that is Ngāti Tor Te Iwi. So Ngāti Tor is our people. And Tor is the name of our common ancestor. It's a beautiful way of sharing our family history. In New Zealand, we would say, in Māori, we call it Papa. So our common ancestor is Tor Rangatira. He's the chief. And he's actually my eighth great-grandfather. And so all of the people that are descendants of Tōranga Tira are part of the Ngāti Tōr iwi. This is so neat. Yeah. And then we would share who our parents are. So I would name my parents and then finish with me. So I come right at the end. So the way I would stand up to introduce myself, I would say, Whitirea te maunga, or ko Whitirea te maunga, ko Raukawa te moana nui, ko Tainui te waka, ko Ngāti Tōr te iwi. Ko Iripete Terei Toko Mama, ko Kerehi Forbes Toko Papa, ko Tanya Toria. I've missed out a few things there, but that's pretty much how it goes. I love that. You can find out how you connect. So everybody listening can find a place to connect to you. What a beautiful concept. So the second tradition that I'd like to share is the Whakatoki, which is a proverb that was given by one of my ancestors, Te Rauparaha, was shared to me by my auntie, my mother's sister. And the words of it mean uh, this, ka oho te wairua, when the spirit is awakened, kamatara uh, te tinana, and the body is alert, or I like to think the body is willing and ready to act, uh, he aroha ki te aroha, which means and when there's love, unconditional or love abounds, ka ka te rama, which means enlightenment flows or there's knowledge. So it's just beautiful. And she shared it to us with music. We sing this whakatoki. It goes like this. Ka oho te wairua, ka matara te tinana. It's beautiful. Thank you. And when you put the spiritual, when we put the culture of Christ 
and we look through it in those lens, I think of my nanny and her vision that she had. You know, she had this awakening of her spirit of something's happening here and she was ready to do something about it and she felt Mm -hmm. happiness and love and then the knowledge came. This is so beautiful. And I love hearing about your family and your tradition. And you also shared with us a story about your husband and how when you guys were first married, he was not a member of the church. So similar to your grandpa marrying someone who wasn't a member of the church. But will you just briefly share about your husband's ultimate decision to be baptized, which is miraculous? How did this experience strengthen your relationship with Heavenly Father and increase your trust that prayer brings miracles? Yeah, so there was a lot of prayers before the day that he was baptized. <laughs> we've been I'm married, sure. Yeah, we've been married over eight years, I think. And he'd had the missionary discussions, like, and he'd read the Book of Mormon, and he was saying, "One day I'll be baptized." And so, anyway, this particular day, one of the members of the area presidency, Elder V. Dallas Merrill, was coming to our stake to speak. And we planned to go, and I just felt it was really important that we be there. So we talked about it together, and so we planned to go. Our children at the time were two years old, four going on five. In fact, that was his birthday, the day, 22nd of February, and my daughter was nearly eight years old. We arrived a little bit late, and as we were walking in the door, I saw the mission president standing there and the state presidency, and I thought, it's really nice they're waiting for us. <laughs> they weren't waiting for us. <laughs> As we arrived, the mission president kind of shook our hands and then he turned my husband around and Elder Merrill was coming in behind us. So he introduced him and Elder Merrill said to my husband, will you listen during this fireside and if you feel the spirit, will you be baptized after this meeting? Yeah, that's crazy. So anyway, so we go in and all I can think about, I've got these little children and my husband can't be distracted because he's got to feel the spirit. (laughs) (laughs) Right across the hall from the chapel was a classroom and I took my babies in there, closed the door. There was a speaker. I turned the speaker on so I could hear and I gathered my children together and we knelt down and we prayed. And I explained to them, you know, we were praying so that they can feel the spirit, so he can get baptized. And when we finished that prayer, you know, children, I remember they were just running around and playing in that big room, but I stayed on my knees. I prayed for that whole entire fireside. And as I prayed, I could hear Elder Merrill speaking. I felt like he had named, like, each point that he was saying was directly for my husband. I knew the things my husband was thinking about and was concerned. Was concerned about. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and Elder Merrill was going each point, and I knew the Lord needed me to pray with all my heart, but I already felt like it was a done thing. Like, so I was praying for this thing that I knew was going to happen. My husband was going to be baptized. It was just uh, incredible. It's amazing. And as I started the singing, the closing hymn, we went back in with my children and we sat next to my husband. And as the hymn was being sung, he leaned over to me and he whispered, I hope the water's warm. Hmm. So they announced at the closing that there'll be a baptism following this fireside. And everybody <laughs> came rushing up because they all knew it was him. Uh, the Spirit had told everybody. This community yeah. that all knew you and your family. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we had a baptism about 9.30 in the evening, and it was uh, incredible. It just helped 
to strengthen my faith. And I always knew that the day would come. I thought it would be just a little bit more organised. I just know that Heavenly Father answers prayers and you just keep going. Like for us, it happened in eight years. For someone else, they might still be praying and waiting for a day. Don't give up. Mm-hmm. In my mind, I could just see it. You kneeling in this classroom and your kids running around crazy. And I think that's something that so many women can relate to. And it's good to know that Heavenly Father hears those prayers too, that are even interrupted by noisy children. And you had this experience of marrying your husband. He was not a member. You hoped that he would join the church, and he did. But there are so many scenarios and different experiences that women have. And I wonder what you would say to other women who are in mixed-faith marriages or in marriages with husbands who are are not members of the church, what you would say to them? Wow, that's such a great question. I think just love them and look for the things that that are good in them. Don't compare. You know, I think sometimes when you're getting a little bit frustrated with things, you might start to compare them with somebody else. Mm -hmm. That's that Mm -hmm. you married them because you love them. And I think you just, you hold on to that and and elevate those things that are good in them and show the kind of woman of faith that you are because your marriage is really important. And those things that aren't working out, just leave those with the Lord. Let him take those burdens for you because he really wants to. And just always be the example of a woman of Christ, I think. I learned that over those eight years. Like, (laughs) I was repenting a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That's such great advice, especially with marriages when maybe your spouse has a different faith or maybe you once shared the same faith and you don't share the same faith anymore. Or even with children who are maybe having crises in their faith, your counsel is such good advice just to love. It's like you have these relationships for a reason and then to elevate the good. I thought that was beautiful too. And then to work on yourself. So I just really appreciate you sharing that. I just feel like that has Mm -hmm. a lot of application. So thank you. And it is amazing to see you were partners then and you're partners now and you serve together and you love your children together and it's it's just beautiful. I love the story. Thank you so much. As we mentioned, introducing you, you did spend a long time serving in the church public affairs communications as a volunteer before you were hired just last year as this assistant communication director. And over the years, you've been involved in so many volunteer projects and outreach efforts and made friends with individuals of other faith communities all over New Zealand. And you shared with us one effort that's particularly close to your heart called the Buttons Project, which was an interfaith and community effort to remember the one and a half million children killed in the Holocaust. And we were just really touched by both the project and the lessons that you learned. And we'd love for you to share this with our listeners. Oh, thank you. So let me just go back a little bit. In Wellington, there used to be a Jewish school and the teachers were trying to help the children to understand what 1.5 million looked like. So they came up with the idea of collecting buttons and buttons came in from all around the world, some of very special buttons that came to them. And when the school closed, the buttons were just left in boxes in the schoolrooms, which weren't used anymore. In the meantime, a lady named Inga Wolf, who was a Holocaust survivor and whose family were able to come to New Zealand as refugees and then live here, she opened up a Holocaust centre for New Zealand. 
And so that's where I came in. I knew about this dream of hers. And so I would contact her and talk about how I, I could provide volunteers. The buttons had deteriorated over time, so they needed cleaning. Some of them, we had to sort them and then make sure there was one with five million. And so when it was all ready, I was able to bring members in as volunteers. And we also had lots of missionaries that helped out. And it was really great because, you know, when you're sitting together, working on a project, we're all sitting at tables, cleaning buttons, and you're talking, you learn a lot about each other and you don't feel so bad about asking questions about faith, like, what do you believe mm-hmm. when you die, happens when you die? There was all kinds of questions that would happen. The project actually took two years. And so over that time, we developed these beautiful friendships that I never would have known that I could love these women who were part of this project, these Jewish women and other women from different faiths so much. They're my sisters. In fact, we were asked to share at a Presbyterian church in their Sunday meeting about this project that had brought different faiths together. And I remembered what Joseph Smith said he'd be willing to die for anyone from another faith. I kind of said that and I burst out crying and Inga was with us and she was like, no, you don't have to die for us. And we did like this big group hug on the stand. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a, it was so just, sweet. <laughs> but that's how I feel about them now and I'm so grateful for that. One of the interesting things that happened along the way is that members of the church I learned, we like to do projects, don't we? We love to serve and we love to get it done. Get it done. We want to get it done. Check it off the list. And so my friends would say to me, friends from the church, oh, Tanya, just see if we can get all those buckets of buttons over to the recreational hall and we get everybody there and we can count them all up. We'll be done. We'll be finished in no time. But it was a very slow process. But because of the time, these relationships formed that we never could have had had we tried to do the fast track. So uh, slow is very good. Sometimes there's more purpose to a service project than just getting a service project done. And I think that's just so valuable because in every area of our lives and in church service, I feel like we're often looking for service projects, right? And I think we're looking for the ones where we can get in and get out and get Mm -hmm. something done. And I think it's a beautiful way of thinking about service. Maybe it's about what relationships can we be building? What friendships can we be building? What can happen in the process, not just in getting it done? And I think about whether you're working in the young women or in Relief Society or with primary children, how that can change, or even a family, thinking about how can we be involved in good in our community, that that can help change our perspective. I I really like that. My mother was having radiation therapy because she had cancer. And so the Buttons Project was kind of on the way, the Holocaust Centre. And so some days when we'd go in for her appointments, I'd say, Mum, would you like to clean some buttons? She'd say, okay. And it was really therapeutic for her to be there and clean these buttons. When my mum passed away, my friends from the Jewish community came. They'd never been to one of our church meetings before and they were coming to a funeral. You know, that kind of sisterhood that happened, that friendship whereby they would come and it wasn't close by all the way out to be able to support and show their love as well. Just real relationships. You were truly friends and truly cared about each other. Very much. I think that's something that's so neat that came out of that process 
And then it kind of goes along with something else that was really meaningful for you. You established the Poirirua Women's Interfaith Network in 2019. And we would love for you to just tell us a little bit more about this effort, how it started, what came of it, and then what you learned. So it started with a conversation with Jenny Dawson, who was an Anglican priest. And we both live in Poirirua. And we'd been to a lot of interfaith events and we just felt it was time for women to be able to express themselves and share our beliefs in a way that women do. We'd meet together in a little cafe and and all gather together and we'd come with something and it might be, tell us about what's your faith traditions for birth or tell us about do you have special things that you wear that show your faith every time we met we'd have these different discussions I feel when the women came together it gave them an opportunity to share their faith with others in a way that they hadn't been able to do before and to be honest because we're women sitting together and we want to know we're all most of us were mothers as well and we came together as women of faith but also with the idea that we have children and grandchildren that we want to be able to share faith with and also help them to learn about others. That's really where it came from for me because I found that my relationship with my Jewish friends and others, I just wanted my friends to know that you can be friends with people from other faiths and you can have very deep and meaningful relationships with them and it's okay. And you can all belong. So it's even though your religious beliefs may vary quite a bit in a lot of circumstances, you still belong together and can have all of these other shared experiences. And yeah, your differences can really bring you together in those ways too. Tanya, thank you so much for sharing about your work, about your family, about your beautiful culture and customs. Is there anything more you would like to share with women of the church or listeners of the podcast We'd love to hear any other thoughts you have. I think for me, the most important thing I'd love women to know is that Heavenly Father loves them, of course, and that he wants to be in the details of their lives. He wants to be invited in to help. And he knows our hearts and he knows the things that bring us joy. And he really wants to be a part of that. COVID's been kind of hard in some ways. I have to say, we had a big lockdown in New Zealand right at the beginning, and I enjoyed the time. I couldn't go out anywhere. I was one of the ones that had to stay home, and my husband was able to go out to work every day and do the groceries, and and I just spent this time studying and loving everything I was learning and going to general conference and then wanting to learn more about the proclamation of the restoration, and it was just... Mm-hmm. Amazing time for me. What was hard though was not being able to be with family, especially my children who I love so much. And of course, we could use Zoom and Messenger, but you just want to hug them and you just want to really see their mm-hmm. face and say, Are you okay? Two of my daughters live nearby. My son and his wife are in Brisbane, Australia. And of course, so we haven't been able to see them since the whole COVID stuff happened. During this past year, they were pregnant with twins and they were a bit worried about it, you know, like wanting to make sure these babies were growing well and they had really great support, great health and support in Brisbane where they are. What happened though was they lost their babies and she had to birth them 
And I remember, so we'd been fasting so that everything would have a good outcome. My son hasn't been an active member of the church for a long time, but he's such a good boy and he's got such a great heart. And I can share things with him and he'll say, I know they go to his heart and I know he knows that God loves him. So anyway, I worried about them because, you know, when you have the gospel, you have the Lord on your side and they didn't have this and I was so concerned. So I thought I would contact my cousin. My cousin moved there not long before, moved really close to where they live. Anyway, I thought, I'll bring her. And he was like, no, mum, we can take care of things ourselves. We'll be okay. We've got each other. I thought, yeah, that's just going to lead to, you know, I'm a mum. Like, that's not going to be good in the end. You need some support. So I didn't listen to him. (laughs) I contacted my cousin and I told her the situation. And she went straight over there that night, her and her husband. And he was able to give them a blessing. I said to my son, I I didn't listen. I'm sorry, I've contacted my cousin. (laughs) Uh, And you need a mama. That's what I said. You need a mama and I cannot be there with you. And she can be your mama. Anyway, I got a little Mm -hmm. note back to say they came to visit mum. We love them. (laughs) And she has been their mama. They're with them in the hospital. They keep in touch all the time. What better person can I put him in the care of? Just the fact, those little things that she happened to move close by. You know, I contacted her. It was the week that they were free of all things. Mm -hmm. She said that to me. I can't believe it. That's the week I'm free. And so they were were able to be there. All those little details are not a coincidence. They're because Heavenly Father wants to be in the details of our lives because he loves us. And when we recognize those things, I think there's great power and strength in our lives as women. I really love that. It's been kind of a theme throughout all of these experiences that you've shared that God is in the details. And it's very clear that you have that faith in Him, that He cares about your life and He cares about your family and He cares about your success. I love that you referred to your cousin and the role that she kind of filled as being a mama. I don't know. I just think about that women have different personalities and different roles, but each of us can be the loving, caring, concerned friend or family member to those that need it. And I think it's so beautiful that she was able to, because I think he needed that, but I think you also needed someone to care for your son because you couldn't be there. And I just think that that's really beautiful. And Tanya, I could just listen to your stories all day. So if Mm -hmm. you ever have any stories to share, I'll listen to them. But we just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us today and for taking the time to share all of these wonderful stories and experiences from your life. We appreciate your insights. Thank you. It's been wonderful being with you. To our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. And we hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Tanya. We love her. We can't wait to meet you someday in person and to hear more of your incredible stories. We also want to thank our wonderful editor, Kurt Dahl, our producer, Matthew Mangum, and the many others who support this podcast and make it possible. And we are always so grateful to hear from listeners. Thank you for leaving ratings and reviews, sending us emails. We love hearing from you. So continue sharing your thoughts and feedback and feel free to contact us at podcast at churchofjesuschrist.org. 
We also want to make sure our listeners are aware that the podcast is available just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. So keep that in mind as you're thinking of people to share it with. It's on the church website, on the Saints Channel mobile app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere. So tune in, subscribe, and please continue to share the voices and the stories of women of faith with your friends and family. Until next week, I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.